Good morning. I, uh, you yeah, know, it's good to be here. I, I had, uh, had about three people ask me if I was nervous and I, I'm not, but then I started wondering, should I be, is there a, is there a reason why? Um, and, um, and, and I got, so I got to thinking about it and here's the, here's the thing. Um, I've, I've preached behind this pulpit before, but it's been several years. I know it's a big difference. Um, at that time, I was a visiting guest preacher from BCM, and I came one Sunday and then didn't come back for a while. Um, I don't get nervous when I go home in the evenings to be with my wife and my kids. I get excited, and I'm not nervous. I'm excited because I'm home. So this is, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to preach this morning uh, to family. So uh, thank you guys for having me. Um, and and I, I will say, man, it just does my heart so good to be at a home church that loves college students the way that our church does. And uh, I know that's a very personal thing for me and my family as we love and walk beside college students every single day. Uh, I just want to say thank you uh, for that and for loving our family. Uh, it's just, uh, man, what a blessing. Um, so Grant read already Psalm 11. Psalm 11 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're going to focus specifically on verse 7. Uh, we will get there in just a second, but as we kind of get there, we need to kind of, we need to kind of get ready uh, because there's so much in Psalm 11. We could spend a long time going through Psalm 11 and unpacking it and really just be here for a while getting the truth. But, but this passage has become something that's just really personal to me. Over the past several years, I've done this kind of read the Bible in a year plan. And it seems that every time when I get to Psalm eleven seven, it just kind of stops me in my tracks. And God really just kind of opens my mind and makes me just stay there for just a minute. Because I think when we get it, when I get it, when this really lands on our heart the right way, what we'll find is the truth that is there will compel us to be the people that God has called us to be. Because there is such great and wonderful truth, and mostly because we fix our eyes on Jesus and not ourselves. And that is where we're going. The other reason why I think this is so important is because all of us will get to a point in some place in life when we feel like we're ready to throw in the towel. Now, I'm not talking about that exam that's hard or the 30-minute drive that you have to go to work. I get that. But what I'm talking about is... When you've been fighting that sin for years and years and years, and you start to wonder, is it worth it to continue fighting anymore? When your child walks away from the faith and you don't even know if they're a follower of Christ and they've wandered into something and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've gone after. And when all of that's happening, you just want to know, God, should I keep on going? Maybe it's a struggle in your sanctification where you feel like you should be closer to God, but in reality, you feel far away. Maybe it's the ridicule that you endure for your faith as you walk into your job that you don't even have to open your mouth anymore. And somebody's looking at you and already laughing and you wonder, God, is it even worse? Maybe there's a sickness in your family. or You've lost a loved one. Or maybe you're walking with a person. You've led them to faith in Christ. God has given you the privilege of being the one who shares the gospel with them. They come to faith in Jesus. You're walking through the word with them. And one day it's like they wake up and act like it never was true, never was anything important to them. And they turn their back and you wonder, God, why? 
You see, in all of those situations, we can be left almost feeling hopeless, as if there's no reason to go ahead, as if there's no reason to move on. One of the things I tell college students all the time, they probably get tired of me saying it, but the thing I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't just paint this picture-perfect reality like everybody in there has got it together. One of the things I love about the Bible is there is a bunch of messed up people in there. And what I found is I look at the lives of those messed up people. Not only can I relate, but I can also see how God and his mercy brought them to hope when things are really bad. And I think this is one of those passages. I'm really sorry about this microphone. I don't know if it's bothering y'all, but it's bothering me. I'm trying to get it straight. I'm sorry, Brian. It's not, not your fault. It's mine. Um, when we look at the hardships of what's going on here with David in Psalm 11, David was facing something and we don't know what it is. I mean, David was constantly facing things, whether it was an invading army, whether it was somebody trying to kill him, whether it was guys turning their back, whether it was his kids messing up. There were lots of things that went on in David's life and we don't know what's going on here in Psalm 11. But what we do know is whatever it is, there's these taunts that are coming at him. It may be from the outside. It may be from the inside. But notice there in verse one, it says, how in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They fitted the arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The idea of what's going on here is there's this there's this voice in David's head is saying, flee, get away, just give up. There's no reason to keep going. The wicked, they've got an arrow in the bow. It's pulled back. It's about to go to your heart. As a matter of fact, the foundations are destroyed. It's been wiped out. Why are you even going to stay here? But David starts out by saying, in the Lord, I take refuge. He starts with his eye on God. And throughout this psalm, he recognizes God is sovereign. God is good. God sees what's going on. And so he knows that God can and will intervene. Which brings us to the last verse in this psalm. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The first word in verse seven, for the Lord is righteous. He is saying all of my hope, all the reason that I will endure is based on this. And so what he has is two truths and a promise. And that's what I want us to see this morning. Two truths and a promise. Now, I am nowhere near as created if days keen. And uh, I don't have alliterated points. Um, I'm just going to say the first one is the Lord is righteous. That's the first point. The Lord is righteous. We see right there in that first phrase of 11.7. For the Lord is righteous. David's hope is grounded in the very nature of God. He understands, as we need to understand, righteousness is not just a characteristic of God. It is his very nature. It is not like we look at something that is beautiful and understand when we see that something is beautiful, we understand it is not the definition of beauty. It just kind of kind of accentuates it. Kind of we see some beauty in it. 
Well, it's not that way with God. We don't just look at him and we see some righteousness in him. He is righteous. He is the standard of what it means to be morally right in every single way. God always does what is right because he is right. He always does what is righteous because he is righteous. And can I tell you, that's a good thing. Because could you imagine having a all-powerful God that was not righteous? You could never trust. You would have to live your life always in worry that maybe he would do something not right. Maybe he wouldn't keep his word. Maybe he would go back on his promise. Oh, but could you imagine a fully righteous God who is not all powerful? Man, I see what's going on down there. That's really wrong. I hate it for you. I wish I could do something. How terrifying would it be? But how absolutely glorious and just an anchor for our souls when we realize the Lord is righteous. He will always do what is right. No matter the situation you're facing, no matter what's coming against you, no matter what evil has an arrow in the bow pulled back about to let go, God is righteous. And sometimes we'll wonder in our life, we'll say, okay, that's David. David was the king. He was a man after God's own heart. David could trust in God's righteousness. How do I know that I can trust in God's righteousness? How do I know? And can I tell you, if you ever wonder, if you ever begin to ask the question, if you ever want to ask, is God righteous? All you have to do is turn your eyes to the cross of Jesus. I want to reread the passage we read earlier because it is so wonderful. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that it is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here is how the cross demonstrates the righteousness of God. We have already said and declared and believed that God is righteous. He always does what is right. That means that every sin, the smallest, the largest, every single one of them is an affront to the holiness of God. And if God is righteous, then the consequences for those sin, every single one of them must be paid. And we know this. We know this. Everywhere from the consequence of the disobedient child having to go to their room to a murder serving life in prison, we understand that sin has consequences. And if God is righteous, then every sin must be punished. Every single one of them. Otherwise, God is not righteous and we don't want an unrighteous God and we know that God is not unrighteous. So every sin must be punished. But that leaves us in a bit of a pickle. Because I don't know about you. Well, I do. And I know about me. I'm a sinner. And I deserve punishment. 
But oh, the righteousness of God that at the cross of Christ, he bore our sin punishment. What we deserve, the wrath of God against your sin and my sin was poured out on Jesus so that he might be just and the justifier of those who believe. Man, the cross is a beautiful picture of the righteousness of God. And so if you ever doubt that God is righteous, look to the cross. And can I tell you this morning, there may be some of you in a room this size who do not know Jesus. You're trying really hard. You're going to try to be a good person. You're going to try to come to church more. You're going to try to read your Bible a little bit more. You're going to try to stop cussing. You're going to try to stop watching certain things on TV. You're going to try to be righteous. Can I tell you, do not trust in your righteousness. Do not trust in your righteousness. Because compared to the righteousness of God, it is as filthy rags. But oh, the goodness of God that even this morning, this morning you are here and Christ is proclaiming to you through his word that if you will turn from trusting in your righteousness and trust in him, he will save you. So even this morning, would you please know that God is righteous? And he will punish every sin, but he has provided a way through Christ that you can be redeemed and be brought near to him. Oh, the righteousness of God. The Lord is righteous. But there's another truth that's here. The Lord loves righteous deeds. Look what it says in the second part. He loves righteous deeds. One of the things we notice when we look at this is not just that the Lord loves righteousness in us, not just a morality in us. Now, this is true. God does like it and love it when we are upright. But it is interesting here that it says the Lord loves righteous deeds. God loves when our actions are shaped by and in response to who he is. You see the connections here? The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And he's not just talking about the Lord's righteous deeds. He's talking about our righteous deeds. Now, we have to be we have to be careful here because sometimes we want to start talking about this and people start thinking, well, you just told me all those good things I do. Don't get me to God. So what is it? Well, those of you that know me and uh, probably even ever met me know that I like coffee just a little bit more than the average human being. I really, really like coffee a lot. And every now and then, my precious wife will walk into my office with this steaming, dark, hot cup of bitterness, and it's so good, and she brings it to me. And you know why? Because she knows that if she doesn't, I will stop loving her that very moment. (laughs) No, y'all know the truth. She doesn't bring me coffee because she's worried that if I don't bring, if I don't have coffee from her, I'm going to stop loving her. She brings me coffee because she loves me and she knows I like it. It's a response. You see, we do righteous deeds not to get God to love us or because we're afraid that if we don't do them, he'll stop loving us. We do righteous deeds because God loves them and we love God. 
And he has so radically changed our hearts. He has so brought us near to him. He has made us different people. He has given himself so that we could be with him forever. How could we not then want to do the things that bring him honor and joy and please the Lord? And so Jesus himself said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our love of Christ overflows in deeds that are righteous because the Lord is righteous and he loves righteous deeds. One of my heroes is Charles Spurgeon. And writing on this passage, Spurgeon says this. He observes, he approves, he delights in the upright. He sees his own image in them, an image of his own fashioning. And therefore, with uncritical satisfaction, he regards them. Shall we dare put forth our hand unto iniquity in order to escape affliction? Let us be done with byways and short turnings. And let us keep to that fair path of right along which Jehovah's smile shall light us. Are we tempted to put our light under a bushel to conceal our religion from our neighbors? Is it suggested to us that there are ways of avoiding the cross and shunning the reproach of Christ? Let us not hearken to the voice of the charmer, but seek an increase of faith that we may wrestle with principalities and powers and follow the Lord, fully going without the camp, bearing his reproach. The world, the flesh, the devil will all whisper in our ear, flee as a bird to your mountain. But let us come forth and defy them all. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There is no room or reason for retreat. You see, our righteous deeds don't earn us something, but they give evidence that we have been changed by God. So two truths, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds and a promise. The upright shall behold his face. Third point, the Lord is seen by the righteous. The Lord is seen by the righteous. Now, this final phrase is different. And I, you may have noticed I called it a promise and not a truth. And we could have just as easily said three truths because this is true. Just as bedrock as the other two are, this is true. But the reason why I nuanced it a little bit is because look at the tense. The other two are written just in present tense. This one's written in future tense. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Now, honestly, this statement should stagger us. We shall see the face of God. Every time somebody in the Bible comes close to seeing God, they are petrified. In Genesis 32, Jacob is wrestling with God. In Genesis 32, 30 reads this. So Jacob called the name, the fate, the place, name of the place, Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. When Jacob realized he's wrestling with God, it messes him up because he's like, I should have died. But this verse promises that we will behold his face. One commentator wrote this, to behold the face of God is in itself impossible to mortals without dying. 
But when God reveals himself in love, then he makes his countenance bearable to the creature. And to enjoy this vision of God softened by love is the highest honor God in his mercy can confer on a man. It is the blessedness itself that is reserved for the upright. You see, we no longer have to fear the face of God because of our sin, but because God is righteous and we have been redeemed by Christ, fear has been removed and now we can in hope and in joy know that one day we will see the face of God. But unfortunately for many of us, if we were told we could meet our favorite celebrity, sports star, public figure, you name it, we'd be overwhelmingly excited. We go buy new clothes. We clean up the house, even if they ain't coming over. We would do all kinds of stuff. Why? Because that person we hold in high regard, we get to meet them. But for sometimes we read passages like this, we tend to just kind of gloss over them. The upright shall see the face of God. Yep, one day I get to see God. I'm kind of hungry. What's for lunch? And I say that to myself because so many times I glance over that I will get to see the face of God. And that changes everything. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you too will one day stand face to face with the God of the universe. And he's going to welcome you into eternal joy. And you know what? That kind of hope, the kind of hope that nothing can shake that, that nothing can take that away because it is a sovereign act of God, that kind of hope, it'll sustain you. It'll sustain you when you want to give up on pursuing righteousness. It'll sustain you when that sin seems too strong. It'll sustain you when you want to stop striving for patience with your kids. It'll sustain you when God doesn't bring you a spouse in your time frame. It'll sustain you when family dynamics are what, aren't what you thought they should be. It'll sustain you when you're passed over for the fifth time for that promotion. It'll sustain you when you've been fighting for cancer for five years straight. And it'll sustain you when you are tempted and want to go on the internet somewhere you know you shouldn't go. And you're trying to fight the temptation. That is what will sustain you. Remember what Jesus said. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. I don't know about you, but I want to see God. I want to see God. And honestly, some days I want it more than others. I think the thing about this verse and the reason why God's just really just kind of just put it in front of my face is because there are so many times that I get just caught up in stuff and I forget Jesus has redeemed me and he has redeemed me so that I will be with him forever. And so this time that I have on this earth it's worth a lot more. And life is hard. Life is hard. Some of us is a little harder than others, but life's hard. Even if you've got it good right now, you know life's hard. 
If it hadn't been hard, I hate to break it to you. Just get ready. It's coming at some point in time. But as hard as life is, God is that much stronger. He is righteous. He has promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. He has promised that those who hope in Christ have hope not just for this world, but for the world to come. And he has promised those who hope in Christ have hope not just for the world to come, but even in this world. God has given us hope in Christ. So like David, who can face unknown trials, which by the way, isn't it so good that we don't know what David was going through? Sometimes when we know what people are going through, we think this hope is only for that situation. I think God in his goodness didn't tell us what David was going through so that we could know we could hope in the righteousness of God no matter what our situation is. David trusted and he calls us to trust in the God that he trusted in. So what do we do with this? Three things I'd like to give you in application as we go to close. First, I want to encourage you, believe the word of God. Believe it. I'm not just talking about mental assent, because the Bible talks a lot about difference. It says the demons believe, but there's a difference. Genuine faith, genuine believing the word of God is knowing that it's true and then responding to it. Faith isn't real if it has no feet to it. If we genuinely believe, we will do something about it. Now, that's not a guilt trip. Because I've already told you, your righteousness is not in what you do. It's a call. We are to spur one another on to love and good works. I'm praying that God would spur me on and God would spur you on to love and good works. Hear the Bible and believe it. When it's hard, quote this passage. God, you don't feel good right now, but I know that you are righteous. When you don't want to do the right thing, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. Believe it and persevere in it. Second thing is this. Let hope rule over despair. I've already said life is hard, but God is so much better. I love Psalm 23. When we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the reason why there's a shadow is the sun is still shining. There may be a cloud over it, but the sun is still shining. God is always there. He has not stopped being God. He has not stopped loving us. He has not stopped being righteous. So even if we can't see it, let hope rule over despair. And the third thing is this. Always find your righteousness in Christ. Always. As you start pursuing righteousness, as you start working towards those things that you know delights the Lord, there will be a temptation in your heart always to become a little bit puffed up. To start thinking, man, God's really using me. Man, I'm really conquering that sin. Man, I'm, and you, start, you start kind of starting getting a little puffed up. And we start thinking, man, I'm doing really good. Last week, I, I was sitting here um, as Dave was preaching, and I just felt like the Lord saying, it's like I'd put on a coat of self-righteousness in some ways. And God just reminded me, your righteousness is not in what you do. You don't want to wear that coat. It's ugly and dirty, 
and unrighteous. I want to be clothed in Christ. So I want to encourage you, as you pursue righteousness, never see it as the source, only as the outflow of what Christ has done for you. And again, this morning, if you have never turned from your sin and are trusting Christ, I don't know about you, but I don't want to trust my righteousness to make me right with God. But Christ fully offers this morning, if you will turn and trust in him, he will deliver you from your sin. I want to pray, and as I pray, Grant and Adam are going to come. Father, we thank you for the hope that is in the righteousness of Christ. Father, I thank you that you have always shown us the truth about who you are. And God, we know that there are times we're like David. And it seems the foundations have crumbled out from underneath us. Lord, at that time, I pray that you would bolster us up with a reminder of who you are and a reminder of what you call us to do. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask that you would use us for the glory of your name. For it's in that name we pray. Amen.